four-week series called Generous. And over the next four weeks, we're going to take our time exploring the traits that uphold a generous life. So thankfulness, that's today, contentment, simplicity, and then finally, generosity itself. A generous life is a free life. According to Jesus, money and possessions have the power to to weigh us down, to, to cage us up, and to even harden us to empathy and compassion. According to Jesus, money and possessions can play a trick on us. We might assume the more we have, the more we might give away. But so often, our grip on the abundance we have tightens. And so too frequently, the more we have, the harder we find it to give it away. And according to the research I looked at this week, it backs it up. The research backs that up. Richer people tend to be less generous. And we think of the, the younger ruler that came to Jesus, the rich young ruler. He wanted more than he already had. He wanted eternal life. And Jesus said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor. Come, follow me. But it says, at these words, the rich young ruler was saddened because he owned much property. He couldn't follow Jesus because he owned much property. Abundance can become a snare. And so that's why the generous life is the free life. The person who has much and also gives away much has somehow broken free from the tight-fistedness that so often results from having lots. So we hear stories like Fabiola from last week, the, the uh, rich lady from 4th century Rome who sold all her holdings to establish the first hospital, historically recorded hospital, public hospital, and we think, wow, that's beautiful. There's someone who's broken free from the cage that having a lot can create over someone's life. Living in generosity is living in freedom. And it's, it's my prayer that we all come to see this more. The generous life is the free life. Let's pray and then we'll look at thankfulness this morning. Our Lord God, we thank you for blessing us so much, for giving us so many things more than we need. Father, we pray that you might help us see that living a generous life is the life you've called us to live, and it's the best life we can live. Father, help us see this, help us see this at a heart level. We pray that you work this in us by the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, amen. So, over the next four weeks, we've tried to match each trait, positive trait, with its opposite. So this week, we're looking at thankfulness in a time of entitlement. Thankfulness in a time of entitlement. A few years ago, Time Magazine, their main piece was titled, The Me, Me, Me Generation, Millennials Are Lazy, Entitled Narcissists Who Live With Their Parents. That was the title of the Time Magazine article. The first sentence read this, I'm about to do what old people have done throughout history, call their younger than me generation lazy, entitled, selfish, and shallow. But the author says, I have studies to back it up. 
thankfully, the author goes on to talk about some good things about the millennial generation, which is good because I'm a millennial. Um, but it's a common trait about millennials that we carry with us this sense of entitlement. And I think it's got to be at least partly true. It's, it's the attitude that acts like the world, the government, friends or whomever owes me, that I deserve better. And whatever its particular focus, whether it's better pay, more support from the government, better grades, somebody with an entitlement complex is rarely satisfied and often complaining. At the root of entitlement, so one author writes, um, is, the root, at the root of entitlement is to grumble about blessings not received instead of being grateful for those we have received. And there's a spiritual version of this entitlement complex too. An assumption that it's God's job to create a world in which benefits me. So Tim Keller, pastor from New York, writes, The implicit but strong cultural assumption of young adults is that God owes all but the most villainous people a comfortable life. Though believing this inevitably leads to bitter disappointment. Life is nasty, brutish, and always feels, uh, always feels too short. Spiritual entitlement dooms its bearers to a life of confusion when things in life inevitably go wrong. So this morning, we're talking about fighting entitlement with thankfulness. So we're going to look at the, the what of thankfulness, the why, and the how. So what is thankfulness? What is thankfulness? Before talking specifically about thankfulness, we need to talk about gratitude. So I see gratitude and thankfulness as nearly synonymous, but, but I think gratitude is the posture from which thankfulness is expressed, if there is a distinction. So what is gratitude? The world-renowned gratitude expert, his name's Robert Emons, and he happens to be a Christian. Imagine being known as the, the gratitude expert. What expectation others would have on you? He defines gratitude as this. A basic human experience of wonder, thankfulness, and appreciation of life. So he sees this as basic to human life, as basic as breathing is to life. So for some, it's a common occurrence. You can walk up Great North Road and see an ibis and think, wow, how amazing is this world? That's for some. <laughs> but for others, it's less frequent. Maybe it's a once-in-a-lifetime trip to the Himalayas or the Grand Canyon. But this sense of Wonder, thankfulness, and appreciation for life, according to Eamons, is basic. But he goes on to describe two components of gratitude. First, to be one who's thankful or who has gratitude as a, as a feature of your, your life, you need to affirm that there's goodness in the world. That there are good things that you've received or you've benefited from. That's the first thing. There's goodness in the world. And second, he says for gratitude to bubble up within us, we need to recognize that the sources of the good things in the world are outside ourselves. That other people, or according to Eamons, higher powers, if you're of a spiritual mindset, gave us these gifts, big and small, to help us achieve goodness in our life. So to be one who's thankful, you need to realize that there is goodness in the world. I think most people do realize that. And you need to be one who realizes that it's come from someone else. That's how gratitude wells up in us. Let me give you an example. A couple of weeks back, I was obsessed with an SBS survival documentary series called Alone. 
took me like a week or two to get through the whole series. Um, <clears throat> alone is all about 10 people being placed alone in a Patagonian forest with no fil- film crew, no one with them. They're all alone, separated from each other. It's, it's a survival documentary series. The winner, the person who lasts in the Patagonian forest by themselves for the longest gets $500,000. Um, anyway, one of the contestants, her name was Callie, exuded gratitude. She had this sense of wonder, thankfulness, and appreciation for life. She looked around at the mountains and the lake and the bamboo forest, and all she saw was that she was a beneficiary of good things. And she recognized that the good things came from outside herself. So she's, according to Eamons, she's got all that is required for gratitude. And so on the day that she thought was her final day in the Patagonian forest, she thought she had to leave. I won't explain any more. But she thought it was her final day in the Patagonian forest. She went around and expressed her gratitude to the bamboo forest, to the fish, to the lakes, to the trees. Thank you, fish. Thank you, forests. It was quite a beautiful moment, actually. But at least it was portrayed in the series. It's a it's a gratitude. Her gratitude is a gratitude that's different to the gratitude and thankfulness we're going to talk about right now. So that's gratitude, and from gratitude comes thankfulness. But why should we be thankful? What are the reasons we have to be thankful? If you were to read the scientific literature on thankfulness, it spells out the advantage of thankfulness to our health. Why be thankful? Because, according to the literature, it reduces anxiety and depression, it strengthens the immune system, it lowers blood pressure and helps us sleep, it makes us more resilient, the list goes on and on. It's good to be thankful for our health. It could be made, an argument could be made that we could replace our gym time with thankfulness time, but as an exercise physiologist, I'm not going to ever say that. The scriptures, though, have a different focus. In the first reading we had, the, the reading from 1 Chronicles, the people of Israel had gathered finally all they need to build the temple, all they needed to build the temple. It was a high point in their history. The people of God worked hard towards this moment, gathering all they needed from their own stocks at their own expense to build the place where God would dwell. And then we read in verse 14, the prayer David prays to Yahweh. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. It's a fascinating thought. All they had worked towards, all they had given to build the temple at their own expenses came from the hand of God. And we saw it in the reading from James as well. Uh, verse 17 of chapter 1, every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. That is, every good thing we enjoy and anything we might give to anyone else to enjoy, according to James, is from above, from the Father of lights. It's a fascinating expression of God, title of God. And all this finds its background in the foundational narratives of creation. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates this most amazing world. 
exotic birds displaying the most wild colors, thousands of delicate ecosystems, underwater schools of damselfish and slow blue gropers. That were the fish that I saw when I always swum from Manly to Shelley a few months ago. Whatever it is you enjoy about the world, God created it and he gave it to us all to enjoy, to cultivate and to care for. In other words, according to the Bible, the whole world is a gift. And this is where, from a Christian point of view, gratitude and thankfulness begins. And also, this is where Christianity comes into its own. Seeing everything as gift brings triple enjoyment. Seeing everything as gift brings triple enjoyment. Let me explain. First, Things are transformed by being gifts. Have you ever noticed that when someone else has chocolates, those chocolates always seem particularly desirable, and if they offer you one, it tastes really good. Then you go to the shops and buy your own chocolates, and it doesn't taste the same. Why not? For the same reason we don't buy ourselves greeting cards. It's the giving that makes it special. One theologian puts it like this. The little trinkets on the shelves of gift shops are not gifts. They become gifts when somebody gives them to someone else. In other words, gifts are relations. If the world is a gift, then all things to which we relate are also God's relation to us. That is, each thing in the world is a relationship, relationship marked by love. What he's saying here is that the things in the world that we enjoy and we take for granted so often, they're not just things. They're gifts given from our loving Heavenly Father. So if you were to buy a, a pack of 20 biros, they don't have as much meaning to you as the one pen that's been passed down from your mother or father, from your grandmother or grandfather. A gift has so much more meaning. So things are transformed by being a gift. That's the first dimension of enjoyment we have because everything's a gift. The second dimension is that despite the lavish generosity of God, we humans have a species-long habit of blocking out the giver. Why? Because if you do see everything as a gift, that's quite a big move. It says that you're dependent. You're not independent. Everything's been given to you. And it also says that you owe the giver at least your gratitude, if not more. And so that's all a bit much for us. And so we have a habit of turning in on ourselves and starting to believe that everything we have is a result of our hard work. Things become what we're entitled to. And because of this, by rights, we forfeit everything. So actually, there's not a single thing we deserve. But God is more generous still. What we forfeit, he gives back to us by the gift of himself. He took the cost of our selfishness onto himself on the cross. The gift of himself. Now we, the undeserving, can receive once again what we have no earthly right to enjoy. And this changes everything. Hopefully you followed what I just said. This changes everything. Every breath that I take, I don't deserve. 
Each day I receive my life back again as if from the dead. The new light of the dawn is doubly sweet. His mercies are new every morning. All that I have, God hasn't just given me once, but he's given me twice. The second dimension of enjoying the gifts of God. We don't deserve them, but yet he gives them to us again. There's one more reason to savor the gifts of God. For those who love God, every good thing is a promise. It's a sign of what is to come. When you savor the sweetness of rain or the brooding darkness of thunder or the first lick of an ice cream on a sweltering summer's day, you don't just enjoy the thing itself. You can also enjoy the fact that whatever is coming next will be brighter, greater, more intense and not subject to decay. Like watching a movie trailer, you can enjoy both the present experience and the anticipation of what's to come at the same time. God is preparing a new creation for anyone who would like to join it. The passage of time isn't cause for despair. It's reason for hope. The more time passes, the closer we get to the grand event. That's the third dimension of enjoying the gifts of God. First, a gift is transformed by being a, a thing is transformed by being a gift. It's given to us again, though we don't deserve it, and, and it points to a future that we have, a future without decay, death, or anything like that. So Christians should enjoy everything three times. Once a gift we didn't create, once a privilege we don't deserve, and once a promise we're yet to receive. So I say this, not necessarily to improve your life, although it might. There are lifestyle gurus who talk about seeing everything as a gift uh, to live well as a child of the universe. This is quite common. But I say it, Primarily so that you will love God more. I wonder if you see how it works. The more you enjoy the beauty and uniqueness of each gift in all its three dimensions, the more the gift, whatever it is, will well up in you gratitude towards God, the giver, and a deep thankfulness and love for him. And this is why the gratitude I'm talking about here is so different to the gratitude that gives its thanks to the universe or the gifts themselves like Kelly from Alone. It, it gets so close, but it misses the main thing. During the week, I came across the story of a bubbly woman named Jane. When asked how she came to faith, she described how for 20 years, God had been gradually drawing her to himself and she put it like this. There were so many beautiful things in my life. And in the world too, I always wanted to say thank you, but I never knew who to say thank you to. Now I do. So we've talked about what thankfulness is, why should we be thankful, and how. How should we be thankful? So the aim of this series is to be really practical, to actually help us all develop in these traits that we're going to be speaking about. So each week... I'm going to be giving you one or three things you might like to implement in your life. So I'm going to challenge you now to implement one of the three things I'm about to describe. One, one practice for you to do this week. And then after this week, you can give it up if you want, but just for this week. 
try to put it into practice. So, you might already do this, but the first is to say thanks before every meal. To say thanks before every meal. So grace, the word grace simply means gift. And to say grace is to remember that all of life is a gift. It reminds us that though we might have prepared our food or even grown our food, we didn't create it. Though we might have paid for it, the fact that we can still enjoy it today rests on factors beyond our control. Grace reminds us how rich we are. And if you're someone who already says grace before every meal, I'll challenge you to mix up your prayers. For this week, try not to say the same prayer before each meal. Focus on the meal before you and the company um, of people you're having the meal with and specifically thank God for, for what it is about this meal you're thankful for or the company. What about the company you're thankful for? Try to be specific. That's my first challenge. Say thanks before every meal. My second one is um, similar to a gratitude letter. So it's often recommended to, to build up gratitude in us. We should write a gratitude letter to someone who has influenced us in a positive way. And I think this is a great idea, but a variant of this idea might be um, to write a letter in the form of a psalm to, to well up in us gratitude towards God. So this week, you might like to spend half an hour writing about God's faithfulness to you, God's goodness, God's love, God's grace, and how you have experienced that in that particular day. So you might like to write it as a psalm, and as psalms often have, they have questions and spiritual struggles in them. But I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'd like to challenge you to write a psalm that begins with thankfulness and ends with thankfulness, no matter how many questions or struggles you throw in the middle. That's my second challenge. Write a psalm to God. And third, my third cha challenge is something that Eamons, that, that gratitude specialist or expert, uh, does for, for pretty much all of his experiments. He asks those who are taking part, at least in one of the groups, um, to gratitude journal or to begin a gratitude journal. And so he, his instructions for each person are these. Um, there are many things in our lives, both large and small, that we might be grateful about. Think back over the past week and write down up to five things in your life that you were grateful or thankful for. So they're the instructions that Eamons gives to his participants. Five things in your life in the past week that you're thankful for. I'm going to add to that. With each thing that you write, I'd like you just to pause and say to yourself, you know, internally, this is a gift I didn't create, this is a privilege I don't deserve, and this is a promise I'm yet to receive. So five things, and then go over it internally, gift I didn't create, gift I don't deserve, and promise of a thing I'm yet to receive. So they're my three challenges. Try one of them this week. A novelist, Ridian Brook is his name, he spent a month in rural Kenya, and he wrote this after his month in rural Kenya. I sat down exhausted from the roller coaster of an African day when our 70-year-old neighbor comes to check that I'm okay, as if I'm the one who is destitute and deprived. I offer her a glass of water, and she pauses before drinking. And I wonder if I've broken some social protocol but then I see that she is, a, see, she is actually thanking God for the glass of water and for the gift of life. And I realize that all my wealth, travel, education, and privilege 
have never really taught me the true worth of a glass of water as much as this moment. Making a habit of thankfulness cuts at the root of self-entitlement. If self-entitlement says life or God owes me and I'm going to fight until I get it, thankfulness says even in the hard times, God has blessed me. I'm going to stop and receive what he's given me. I'm going to pray a prayer written by Looney. So please pray with me. We rejoice and give thanks for earthworms, bees, ladybirds and broody hens, for humans tending their gardens, talking to animals, cleaning their homes and singing to themselves, for the rising of the sap the fragrance of growth, the invention of the wheelbarrow, and the existence of the teapot, we give thanks. We celebrate and give thanks, O Lord our God. Amen. We're going to sing a song for you now. Uh, you can stay seated if you like. Um, and in this song, we sing that we approach the throne of glory nothing in my hands i bring uh, and it's a great reminder that we bring nothing into this world we take nothing with us but we bring our empty hands to god uh, and he fills them uh, we don't do it ourselves uh, and so as as we sing this song why not use it as a chance to reflect on what dave said this morning uh, to give thanks uh, for those things that god gives you um, and overall that he gives you Jesus, uh, that he gives you his grace and his love uh, every second and every hour of the day.